to the cloud. Yay! <laughs> Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. I'm Ashley. This is Dyslexia Coffee Talk, and we have Liz Mealy with us. I listened to your name like 20 times going, I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> I don't even correct people though. Like somebody would be like, I watched a video and it wasn't pronounced that way. I was like, why would I like, we Americanized it. Who cares? Like, <laughs> so how would it be pronounced? I'm curious. I'm now. sure it's like me and you have to use your <laughs> hands or something like very Italian, but like as somebody that doesn't like being corrected because they're dyslexic. And if you know what I'm saying, it's good enough. I feel the same way about my name, like just spell it right so that you can find my work. But other than yeah. that, <laughs> I actually sort of feel this, I feel the same way about like when people comment on our page and go, you misspelled this, or this is grammatically incorrect. I'm like, it's a dyslexia page. Yeah. So you know, can, can we kind of yeah let that go? But sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, My whole thing is if you under, isn't this all about communication? If you understand what I'm saying, who cares? Right. (laughs) Like it just doesn't, I get maybe a book or a dissertation or something that like truly does have a broader value, but like, especially when somebody's like criticizing my tweets, it's like, I'm like dating right now. And it's like, so difficult that I'm like, at what point do I tell them I'm dyslexic because these text messages are getting worse and worse. Like in the beginning, it's like, I'm like looking up words. I'm talking to Siri. I'm like, Siri, how do you spell appreciate? Like, I'm like, and then eventually you're like, they should get to know just the fact that I'm never going to put an apostrophe anywhere that I have run on sentences. I've never believed in capitalization. (laughs) Like it's going to get messy quick if you love me. So might as well be very soon. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, <laughs> so I, I should, I should add, I'm not dyslexic, but I am kind of a lazy writer. <laughs> so with my text messages, there's no capitalization. You know, I is never capitalized unless Siri corrects it on her own. It's just, yeah. it's sort of, I feel like it's sort of like my, my, my trademark kind of at this point yeah. with, with how I write in messenger and text and stuff like that. But I just, like I said, I, I it's, it's never for lack, at least on my part of trying. It's just, I seem to have a certain amount of blindness when I write, you know, it looks correct to me. And then the 10 times that I'm going to read it, it's going to remain correct to me. And it's after I hit publish that I go, Oh, wait. <laughs> so I just always find it amusing when people are like, that's misspelled. Do you mind reposting? And I'm like, eh, okay, fine. <laughs> It is a dyslexia page again. You do. Yeah. Come on. You did get that right. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you coming on and being a guest is one of our co-founders, like biggest pie in the sky dream. Aww. When I reached out to you and told her that I was like, okay, I went for it. I emailed her agent. And she responded. She was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she's like super excited that you said yes. So I'm, I'm happy to be like fulfilling her dream today. Oh, with having you I'm honored. <laughs> so I was watching. I, I don't know how many videos I've watched. I just kept like more, more, more on YouTube with you today. Um. But I, I liked that you, I like the story that you shared about 
I think you were at a dyslexia advantage conference and you were talking about being a sixth grader reading to third graders. Cause that's the program that your school did. And the third grader took the book from you and started reading to you instead. I was like, so the school never heard of not making kids read aloud. Honestly. And it, I was already in a dyslexic program. So like, why did they do that to me? It was probably like, when I look, if, if I had to make a timeline of like the most embarrassing or like the things that shaped how I felt about myself, it's, it's up there. Like it really affected me in a way that I know, like I, I did just go on a first date recently and I, I said something, I was like, yeah, but I'm a moron. And he's like, oh, don't say that about yourself. And I was like, oh, I don't believe it, but that's, I've always, and then I was like, I don't anymore. And yeah. I still say it but I did for a really long time. Like yeah. for a really long time, I thought I was tricking people when they said I was smart or that my jokes were really smart or whatever, because the truth of the matter is only in the last 10 years did I really start to believe that I was smart and that mm -hmm. my inability to read things correctly, spell, uh, make real, um, uh, forward motion in my writing and spelling in a lot of those areas doesn't uh, correlate to my intelligence because for the right. longest time, you know, you're in a school system for anywhere from 12 to 16 years that says, actually it does. Right. So it's so funny that I, you know, I'm a comic, I'm self-deprecating, blah, blah, blah. But like, it was really interesting for this guy to be like, well, don't say that about yourself. And I was like, oh, I've, I've never said anything nice about myself, but it's nice that internally I don't feel that way you know, but it, it, that shaped, that was probably, it's weird to think about this moment. How old are you in the sixth grade? Like um, 12, 11, something like that. Yeah. 11, like, 12. It's still, my son's in seventh and he's 12, but he's about to turn 13. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, wow, that was so long ago. And it's still like, it makes me cringe. Like it, oh, it, yeah. it, it was, you know, it wasn't a bad day. It was like, oh, like, uh, it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, I'll forever remember this in the worst kind of way. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think that that's important. You know, I think that that's an important thing that people, I, I think people in our community get it. I think that people outside of our community don't necessarily get it. You know, the quote unquote, you know, everybody that's hundred percent normative, if that is act, actually such a thing, you know, like I have a, <clears throat> one of my nephews has auditory processing disorder and getting through school was an extremely painful thing for him to do. And he's 22 now. And he was at my house a few months ago because he picked up something for my son and he delivered it really late. And I was the only one up. And so it's just the two of us and we're talking, it's like almost midnight. And he called him. I don't remember what was said or what, what the conversation was, but he looked at me and he was like, I'm essentially retarded. I mean, come on, I'm that stupid. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. But, I but that's what school made him feel like. Yeah. And, and no, because you're constantly being judged on this one set of requirements, you go, well, I am failing in this set of requirements. So by anybody look like, they're not wrong, but they never kind of make it broader. They never show you how your other skill sets um, have value. And they also don't tell you that it really doesn't matter. Like I did, 
I did like a, like a dyslexic magazine. They asked me to do like a self tape and they're like, what would you tell these students that you wish you knew as a kid? And I was like, I know school's important, but it's kind of not like, yeah. it really doesn't matter. I like, you know, do your best. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. But if this isn't your jam, it does not mean you will not be successful in something that you do care about. So right. do not let this define your value because it seems like it's your entire life right now, but eventually it'll be such a fraction of what's important in your life. But we constantly tell children, teachers constantly tell you the way it's, you know, life is set up is school, school, school. If you fuck this up, excuse me, if you <laughs> threw this up, you know, you will, you won't have any foundation. You won't be, your rest of your life is ruined. If you ruin these 12 years. And the truth of the matter is it's just not true right. at all. And, and, and whether you know you're dyslexic or you have some kind of, um, you know, uh, learning, you know, I don't like the word disability, but like, you know, learning issue, um, or you don't, it feels like the kids come out the same, which is even when you know you're still seen as not good enough and different and uh, incapable. And the truth of the matter is I made a complete career out of reading, writing, spell, you know what I mean? Like I do it more than most of my friends that are way better at it. Yeah. And I love everything that you said, because it's exactly the same thing that I've been telling my own dyslexic child for years. And I don't know, like my husband isn't dyslexic either. And one of the things that I realized when he hit the wall was I was like, okay, so he and I both conformed to this system and did, you know, exactly what the system expected of us. And now I need to raise a nonconformist who looks at the system and goes, yeah, you don't get to define me, you know? <laughs> I've always told him, I'm like, you know, the, 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 all I, all I ever care about is that you try your best. Yeah. That's, that's my only ask of you, you know, don't, don't not do the work because you refuse to do the work, you know, do the work, try your best. And if your best is a 50, then your best is a 50. Yeah. I don't care that that was a 50. Yeah. As long as you tell me that you did your best. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're 70, what you did between the ages of six and 18 aren't going to have mattered in the scheme of your life. Yeah. Especially when it was a paper that your teacher barely read, like who cares? <laughs> Oops. Accidentally hit volume on my phone. So <laughs> never mind. I was trying to monitor questions. Um, by the way, we have people watching from Kenya and Bangalore. Woo, fun. <laughs> so, I, but comedy. So you started writing your own jo jokes at 14 and I was watching a lot again of, of what you've got out there. I, I was so intrigued by the fact that you went to comedy because you're right, you're, you're reading, you're writing, you're, you're doing so much. What was it about comedy really that sort of was that pull to you? I mean, cause obviously it's a great passion for you and you're amazing at it. So <laughs> what was it that spoke to you? So I think that there's the duality of, um, I loved stand up. I loved, I loved comedy in general. That was like the movies and like the sketches, like SNL, all that stuff I was really drawn to. My mom's really funny. I had a really kind of um, just sad and difficult childhood. So what broke the tension in our house was like, you know, quoting Paula Poundstone or quoting Mike Myers and just being silly was the way to kind of get my mom to be less angry and to, I'm one 
of five kids just to get attention. So in general, I think I was always drawn to comedy to how it, it changed the atmosphere in my home, but also being a really sad kid, being a really overwhelmed kid, it, 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 it changed me. I would feel better just watching it. I would go from being sad and feeling alone to just being happy and in a good mood and being all like goofy and feeling more like myself. So in general, I was just drawn to it. And then when I discovered stand up when I was 13 or 14, I was like, this is like, I thought I wanted to be like a, like a funny actress. Like I thought I wanted to be like Sandra Bullock in the nineties, but I didn't like, there was always something missing. And then when I saw stand up, you're by yourself, you get all the attention again, one of five kids dream, <laughs> dream. So I was like, yes, this is like every, like the stars aligned. And I was like, stand up comedy. And then I've always liked writing. I took all these, like, I had like a, this, like, helper dyslexic dyslexic class that I took after school a couple times a week and they would have us write stories I was in middle school and high school writing these like short stories like these silly stories but I never showed anybody because it was all dyslexic and and I was very insecure and stand-up was so perfect where I got to show my ideas but nobody ever read the written word so like the written part was secret and I could be all dyslexic, but when you speak it, which is so much easier, that was what people saw. And so I got to like, you know, I, I, you, I became a storyteller. Like it's, it even kind of shows the type of comedy I do is very different than my peers where I, I talk about something that happened to me for five minutes, as opposed to some of my stand up friends are like bump, bump, bump jokes. So in general, I think I was always drawn to storytelling and stand up was like the perfect uh, way of displaying that. Oh, I love that. I, I sorry, I pause because I'm like I'm thinking about how you know, God, my son can tell me a story that's got like a billion details and takes like twelve minutes to get out, and I'm sitting here going, I'm working. What's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's it's still me. I, I still have audience members that are like, I'm going to trust her on this one, but I don't. <laughs> she's going. She's taking a lot of left turns. <laughs> Uh, well, I just, oh gosh. I mean, I just, <laughs> my, I made my family like leave for the soccer game early because I just, I was like, y'all are interrupting me and I'm down a rabbit hole of YouTube comedy with Liz <laughs> and I'm having such a good time and y'all just go away. <laughs> Turn on stand up. <laughs> but I, so, oh gosh, I'm trying, I have like so many questions in my head. I'm trying to like pick the next good one. Um, what so you're you're one of five and I believe I also heard you say that all five of are your other four siblings so all five of you are actually dyslexic as well yeah so my my dad's dyslexic he I think knew something was wrong but didn't really know what it was he really didn't like concrete knew he was dyslexic until my his fourth kid my brother Sam who's the most severe dyslexic was mm -hmm. really having problems. So that's crazy because we all got diagnosed and, and, and it really wasn't until Sammy. But um, I would say my older sister and my youngest brother are like mild and they got out of the classes pretty early. Me and my little sister, Emily, I was in special classes, I think until high school. I think the same with them. I worked really hard because I didn't like being in them. I probably should have stayed because it would have helped me get extra time on tests, which I desperately needed. But it was really me just being like, I'm normal, I swear get me out of here. I don't like these. <laughs> um, and then Sammy was so severely dyslexic that he had it up until college. And if he had stayed in college, he would have continued to have it throughout the, um, entity of, of, of being there. But he, you know, 
it, I think it's really still hard to get extra time on the SATs and he had extra time on the SATs. He's always had a helper. He's always been in special classes. Um, even today, I mean, he does more hands-on stuff. Um, he never finished school for non-dyslexic reasons. Um, but he, um, while he still struggles with it, he's not in a field or he doesn't put himself in a field where it, it really is necessary. Right. Which I think is honestly, it's weird. Either dyslexic people get even more drawn to it. Like I am where I'm like, I'll show you, I'll just find, I'll find an editor. Um, <laughs> or you get like, my brother does a, a welding and uh, woodworking and, and more hands-on stuff. That's uh, about using his creative side. And he's always been a hands-on learner. He's always been a fixer. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I just moved into a new apartment and I've been joking. I was like, I don't need a man. And then I'll be like, Sammy, come over and fix this stuff. Like, he's like, you know what I mean? Like he's coming over tomorrow and I have a list of things for him to do because he's just, he knows how to, you know, he's 10 years younger than me and like could do everything he needs to do. And I'm like, this, an adult that's like, I raised you, but if you could be uh, my person <laughs> that fixes everything. <laughs> well, and working with our hands and doing things like that, you know, we're, we're in a society where, and I think we've been talking pretty heavily about this in our society for the last few years, you know, everybody's like college, 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 college. And that isn't the only path, you know, like you, you mentioned welding and I know, so I worked, I worked for about, I spent about a decade in the oil and gas industry and I've always done like procurement. So, you know, Basically, I'm a professional shopper for corporations. You know, they have a need and I go find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we needed welders. There's not a whole lot of welders out there. Yeah. Not the right skill set. And, you know, it was one of the things that I learned. I learned a lot about welding, except to how to actually do it. Like nobody yeah. actually like let me play with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I learned about it is it really is an art form and you can almost identify who welded something because there's almost a signature to it and how they've done it. That's unique to that person. And I was like, why are we not creating more of these people? <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, what really drew him besides it being hands-on is that you're freelance, you get yeah. paid really well, you just yes. have to buy your equipment and then you just have, you come with your equipment and you you do your thing. So I think in a lot of ways, like in our society has um, dismissed uh, skilled labor mm -hmm. as somehow uh, not a not necessary, but be uh, not valued in the society when at this point, you know, I think we give our right arm for a plumber we trust that knows what they're doing that is is um, a part of the community, but we've made it so it's complete like you know, they're overworked because everybody's mm -hmm. using the same three people. And then also they're able to charge whatever they want because there's three people, mm -hmm. so, you know? So, and that's really where it's going as opposed to, we always have a nurse shortage. We, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's all these industries that are always shortage before the pandemic. And we've just pretended like that what they do isn't valuable. What they do isn't um, creative, uh, um, um, unique to themselves. And I think one of the things that has, there's like, it's like almost a split down the middle for dyslexic people. You either have entrepreneurs and people that see the pain points in society and start their own path, or you have people that are like, I don't know if I want to be in front of a computer writing emails all day, 
I want to do this thing where either I'm my own boss, kind of a slight entrepreneurial thing, like, you know, being a welder, but really these are my skills. I'm hands-on, I'm visual. I, uh, I don't like to sit down and do stuff. Look, my brother's also ADHD. So it's like, it's really like, he kind of has all the things that make him perfect for somebody that is doing his own stuff on his own, on his own accord with his own brain that, um, he's just a very self-taught self-made guy. So I, I think more and more we have almost punished, um, uh, the past generations for just being skilled at something when that's actually, I would kill to have those skills. Like I'm, I'm 36 years old and I'm still struggling with computers and I've had them almost my whole life. Mm -hmm. Like I should be more skilled with a computer since I use it every day, (laughs) but we've outsourced skills and then told people skills aren't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, I can do, a, I, I actually took a, like an IT class once. And so I could disconnect a server system and given enough time, I could probably reconnect part of it <laughs> just because eventually the cable is going to go into the right hole. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> um, with like what we're, with what we've been doing, um, you know, people within our own group are like, I think that we should do this. And I'm like, okay, you're way beyond my technical skills at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> So if, you know, feel free to build that and we'll add it in, but uh, no, I'm tapping out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I'll write about it, but other than that, no. (laughs) Um, But no, I think, you know, you're, we need to be fostering creativity so much more than, than we are definitely and valuing hands-on skills and not everything is college not everything is you know and you don't have to go to college when you're 18 you can figure out what you want to be when you're later in life and like all kinds of misconceptions do you know that I think it's a Malcolm Gladwell story where um there was a there was a kid I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl there's a kid sitting in class couldn't sit still was a problem in class and gets into the principal for the umpteenth time calls the mom and she goes, actually, we're going to step out. I'm going to put on some music. You stay here to the kid and they leave. And then they just sit and they watch the kid and the kid's dancing. And the mom's like, so upset. She's like, I'm sorry. You know, she can't sit still. I don't know what to do. Or I think it was a boy. I don't know what we can do. And he goes, he's not a problem. He's a dancer. Put him in a dance class. Right. And he became the super famous choreographer and like ballet teacher or whatever. I should probably know who it is. But that's kind of how I feel with dyslexia and ADHD and any kind of kid that doesn't fit the form is they're going, you're wrong. You're messing up the system. You're wrong. You're messing up the system. You're not going to amount to anything. You're not doing anything. And it's like, you, you put me in the wrong class. Yeah. Cause you know, in art class, I excelled, you Mm -hmm. know, and even in gym class, I've always had a lot of energy. I actually think I probably, cause I definitely think my dad has ADHD and it, it, looks different in in girls. So girls almost get very much less diagnosed and Mm -hmm. only literally in my thirties have I been like, Oh, I think I have ADHD. Like I think I have ADD because I don't think I'm as hyperactive, but like, I'm like, Oh, I I see this. And I never saw it before because people didn't tell me to look in that direction. And it looks different in, in girls and women. But the truth of the matter is I did excel in a lot of areas, but people told me they didn't matter. And 
I'm fortunate that I grew up with parents that told me I could do whatever I wanted. And if you're going to do it, just try your best and blah, blah, blah. And my dad was very much get good grades, whatever. Like it was never like, you know, like we had to get A's and B's. We were punished if we didn't, but also we were rewarded for the other things that we did. And the, the little short stories I wrote, they always paid attention to them. And, you know, um, when I started doing stand up, my parents were actually incredibly encouraging. And I know a lot of peers that don't have that, um, um, those stories about their parents. So, you know, being able to acknowledge that yes, school has its value and there is some importance, but also if, if you're going to go over here and make a living doing it, well, let's, let's support that. Let's see where that goes. But like, I feel like you see people excel in art class or you see them excel in, you know, debate or whatever, or languages and they go, yeah, but that's, that's one class. And there's these nine classes that you're failing at, but it's like, you don't need to do nine classes when you're an adult, you just right. need to be successful at one thing. So why are we telling people that they have to be the best mathematicians when it's just not in their skill set? As long mm -hmm. as you can pay your bills, who cares? Right. And at this point you can hire some Somebody. Just make enough money that you hire somebody to put all the numbers together. <laughs> I'm so pro hiring people out that are better at doing stuff than you are. Like that's the best. I, I agree. And sometimes, sometimes things don't click until later, you know, like I, I actually suspect that I might have dyscalculia to, to a slight extent because math was always such a struggle for, for me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I got kicked out of college. Fun. I know. Right. <laughs> that I was kid, fun. I your kid brings that up. <laughs> I, you know, I try to be really proud of it and own it because I learned so much from it. You know, I, I try to be one of those parents who've learned from failure, you know, fa yeah. failure is not a bad thing as long as you yeah. learn from it. Right. Of course. Um, but, you know, that was definitely a hard conversation to come home and say, hey, mom, dad, I got kicked out of school today. But <laughs> Why did you get kicked out of school? I failed math twice. It's also like I didn't like I went to a school purposely that I did not have to take math and science mm -hmm. because it was never my strong suit. And and like literally I was excited that I got into that. But isn't it so funny that you're just like how, I, I'm not exaggerating. I have a three minute rant about how math is dumb and you don't need it. And none of us are using anything after the third grade. <laughs> and it like, it gets like cheers. Like, cause yeah. it's just like, and, and I probably have some of dyscalculia or whatever as well, or maybe I don't know, or maybe it's just dyslexia with a number. I have no idea, but there's a part of me that's like, it was, I was punished so much and it was so hard for me. And I have a line in my joke where I'm just like, it ruined my childhood but has had almost no effect on my adulthood. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? Like the yeah. amount that I felt bad about myself and the amount that I was punished for something and it's never brought up as yeah. an adult. Receipts when you go out to eat now tell you what 20% is. You don't have to do any of it. I have a calculator. Remember when they're like, you were never, you're not gonna have a calculator in real life. I'll show you Mrs. Bates. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're just like, what like and I get that they can't predict the future but at the end of the day even without the technology we have you still weren't using more than third grade math yeah well and you know the benefit for me was I, I wish I knew the man's name I really do and you know I I know enough people that I could probably find his name but uh, I couldn't go home and tell my parents I got kicked out of school without having a solution 
to my problem, right? So I stopped at the community college on my way home and I enrolled in the math class and I just flunked. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I paid for it with my own money. So, you know, nethers, let's try to soften the blow to mom and dad. And <laughs> so I got up and I drove across town because it was like 40 miles away. Um, two, two or three days a week, whatever it was, the class started at like eight o'clock in the morning. Wow. At least I was contraflowing with traffic. Right. Yeah. Um, but for some, I, I didn't say anything. I didn't fill out a questionnaire. I didn't do anything, but for some reason, this teacher honed in on me and it's not that he was asking me questions or treating me different from anybody else, but for some reason, something that I did triggered something in him. And after a couple of weeks, he, he set me up for failure and I failed and he asked me to stay after class. And he said, you should never be in a math class. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm trying to get back into college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Please don't say this. And he was like, this is the worst possible environment for you. He was like, you, you're the kind of person who something is explained to you and it makes perfect sense. But then when the next thing is brought up, that thing goes completely away. It's like, you know, falls out of your other ear and it's, it's gone. He went, you need to hear the thing. And then you need to do lots and lots and lots and lots of practice. And then you have it. And then you can move on to the next thing. He was like, a math class is the worst possible environment for you. I never went to a math class again, except to grab my syllabus and to take tests. Yeah. And I taught myself from that point forward because I, he was right. I needed to like read about the thing. And then I needed to do like a, you know, as many questions as I had to, in order to solidify it inside of my head. And then I could move on to the next, the next thing. Um, and I did, I, I got back into college, <laughs> but it's, he set me free with that. And I, you know, I was like, 20, 21 at the time. And I had always thought that I was really, really stupid because I couldn't do math. And he was like, no, you just, this is not the right environment for you. And somebody should have told you that years ago. And I was like, freedom. <laughs> What's crazy though, is like, I've always said, I didn't learn how I learn until I was like 25. Yeah. And now I like, when I don't know how to do something, I can tell somebody, this is how you're going to teach me. You know what I mean? Be, or like mm -hmm. slow down or actually, can you show me this? Or can you, you draw something or like, um, uh, I created an animated web series and yep. it was, um, kind of nursed and picked up by Frederator, which is like a pretty big animation company. And so there were certain things to be on their network that you had to do for your animated web series on YouTube. And it was awesome. They sent this packet and it would tell it to you it would break it down into like bite-sized pieces and then it would have a visualization for it. Perfect. Every single thing they asked you to do. So let's say they were telling you you had to put a certain thing on your YouTube channel or at the end of your video, you had to do something. It would tell you what it wanted, break it down into like bite-sized pieces of how it should look. So you know, he's explained it twice and then it would have a visual representation with arrows and breakdowns and screenshots and especially of like technical stuff as well as like creative stuff. Every single thing they asked you to do, it was broken down three times in three different ways. And I was like, dude, if this was math class in the third grade, if this was even like history, class, like, I, I mean, I'm the one now that teaches people how to do tech stuff. And I'm 
I'm terrible at tech stuff, social media stuff. I've self-taught myself, but I know now how to explain it to people that are uh, 15 or 60, because I know how to break it down into why it's relevant, what it should look like and how to remember it to do it forward. So like my mom um, is now a competitive power lifter, brag on my mom. Um, so nice. she, she sets up her phone and she record cause she has a, like a trainer that's in another state. So she, she records all her lifts. So her trainer could be like, no, your hips were like that. And we're going to do this. And then she puts them on YouTube, um, for him to see. And my mom's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I broke it down. My mom is not dyslexic. She's smarter than ever. She had a bunch of dyslexic kids. She was like, what, what did I make? She, my mom was like, so upset. She was like, why are all my kids in special classes? I was the smart kid in class. So, but I broke it down for this technical thing. She's in her sixties and she got it because I was just like, this is why you do that. She's like, well, what do I do next? And I go, well, what do you want to trying to do next? I'm trying to do this. So logically what makes sense? And so I explained it to her the way I would want to be taught. And, and that's like for, you can use, even if you don't have the processing issues that I have, there's always something that kind of gets in your way or it just doesn't logically make sense to you. And if you find a simpler way, a more visual way, uh, whatever, or even just give multiple ways of showing somebody, which is why I think like YouTube learning has really blown up where you have now when I don't know how to do something, I put it in YouTube and there's just some old man that's like, You're one, you want to go here. And you want to do that. You're going to, you want to do that, but you shouldn't do that. You do that. Like, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like I would have loved for an old man to break something slower apart every day after class so that I could have learned it, but they don't have the time. They don't have, you know, they don't have the staff, you know, we're being, they're being graded on our grades, which why do grades matter? Like everything's set up for failure for all of us. And I'm not blaming teachers per se, but the truth of the matter is I was, never taught the way I learn. Mm -hmm. And nobody even taught me how I learn. I had to teach myself as an adult. And that's the only way that I learn stuff now is because I'm an adult. Right. But I think that's so critical. I mean, because I've, I've worked for companies where, because I'm so extremely, everything I do is math. And, and the job that I have, literally everything that I do is math. But because everything that I do is math, people talk math all the time. And it's, you know, three words in, my eyes have glossed over and I'm like, I'm, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to sit here and listen. Yeah. And agree so that you can feel good about yourself. And then I'm going to go over there and try to figure out what the hell you were talking about and figure <laughs> it out on my own. And, um, actually had a boss where we, we made a deal with each other. I was like, don't ever talk math to me, show it to me. Yes. And he was like, totally fair. Don't ever email it, print it because I want the paper. I'm like, fair. We shook on it. I was like, I will always hand you paper. And he went, and I will always show you math. Yeah. <laughs> we had a deal. Absolutely. And I'll never forget because he called me one day on the way to work and like 20 minutes into the conversation, he went, I broke our deal. I'm like, you broke your deal. <laughs> was like, that was 20 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. Thank you. I'll see you when you get here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I told them, I was like, y'all, y'all are stuck in thinking that everybody learns exactly. I think the cat's coming exactly yeah. the same way. <laughs> 
And none of us do. And because you're trying to communicate in one, in one way, you're leaving a lot of us behind because we don't, we don't get it. Yeah. But you're not not just leaving us behind you. You left us behind and then you damaged us because you told us that we actually aren't capable of learning. And then we go through our our entire life believing that's true. And that's where the harm is. If I never learn how to do algebra, is my life all that different? No. No. But if I believe I'm incapable of learning any math or just learning in general, you have spit out a broken child that you were supposed to educate and you've done more harm than you actually have done than, than, than any kind. You know what I mean? You, you, a kid could have gone in and gone out and learned nothing. And that would have been a, just a blank sheet of paper, but instead Mm -hmm. you ripped up that kid and made them. So they never believe that they can learn again. And now you have a 35 year old dude that believes that there's no reason to read that nobody's ever going to teach them anything because they're incapable of learning. And you put them in a box that, that they think is their problem and of their own making. And it's not true. The amount of adult people I've met that are dyslexic, that either still think they're dumb or it took them entirely too long to know they weren't dumb is heartbreaking. And that's where the real damage is. I spent, I'm fortunate that my dad and both my parents said, just because you're not good at this doesn't mean you're, you're not capable of doing things. And I'm fortunate that I was very drawn to creative stuff where most people didn't care. I, there was a lot of accidental and, and, and lucky breaks in the sense that how I felt about myself didn't hinder my, uh, my growth and, um, my belief in myself, even when still having self-esteem issues and, and, and feeling like I was done dumb, but I meet so many people that it stifles their life because school Mm -hmm. told them they're incapable of learning. And what's so crazy about that too, is if you look at the current literacy rates coming out of schools, one would think that it's the 80, 20 rule, right? That 80% of the children are learning the way that schools are teaching children how to learn. And again, this is not teacher bashing. It's just sort of reality with the way that the institution is set up, but that's not the case. It's 36% of children. So 64% of kids are coming through school feeling like they're less than or not capable or stupid or, you know, name your adjective, but they're coming through with some damage from an institution that is not teaching the majority of children. Of course. And and all of it is set up. I mean, it's, it has to do with the bureaucracy of, you know, giving funding based on grades that put pressure on teachers that are already overworked. Like I, I, I have nothing but um, respect for teachers in that sense. But I mean, until it starts changing from the top down, it's, it's going to just keep happening. And, and I've always said, I, I always wonder, there's a lot of things that just because our brain works differently, we are good at creativity. We do have this kind of different type of intelligence or whatever. I don't know if dyslexia comes back here, but I always point to the back of my head like it does. Um, I'm like, did I read something or I just think that's where it is? But like, I'm like, my dyslexia is right here. But um, but I've always wondered if my entrepreneurship, my go-getterness, my um, creativity, my seeing the world differently specifically comes from dyslexia or if it comes from being dyslexic in this normative society and I had to build those skills to survive. That's a 
definitely an interesting way to look at it. I mean, because I think most of the people in the community try to shape it as it's because of how your dyslexic mind works. But you're right. There's potentially a huge survival. Yeah. Am I, do I have these skills? Cause I had to swim upstream. Do I have these muscles because I had to fight traffic? So I do wonder sometimes as somebody that has talking, talked at uh, dyslexic schools to, you know, it's literally all kids are, have learning disabilities. They all are very, you know, they're, if they don't, they can spin around on a chair if they need a break or like, you know, it's all these like contraptions and, and, you know, um, uh, understanding and respect for what they're going through. And I'm like, I wonder what type of kid comes out of that school where they respect their needs as opposed to somebody like me, where I had a little bit of extra help. People at least knew I was dyslexic, but I still felt damaged by the system. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you were really an adult before you kind of figured out how you learn. And we've been talking about the damage. Do you feel like through your comedy work that you've helped yourself heal in some ways, or is that, is that, is that always an ongoing journey or? Um, so sorry to get in there with like a really question. No, 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 not at all. I think being open about it. So I've my whole, I'm very self-deprecating. I've always been like, I'll make fun of myself first before you can make fun of me. Um, I flat out have fr- friends be like, I don't think that's a real word that you're saying on stage. And I was like, get to laugh. Don't care. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm like, mm, all right. So, but I think in some ways, um, being seen as intelligent, um, uh, because of my comedy, um, uh, making a name for myself because of my comedy built up my self-esteem in the sense that like, I don't need this thing. You, meet, I know a ton of dyslexic comedians, both uh, self-diagnosed and or uh, I diagnosed them. I was just like, (laughs) just so you know, uh, you should know this. Uh, One of my biggest pride points is I was on a a podcast where we were talking about dyslexia and I was like, oh, I can, I can see it now because of like Facebook and status updates. I can usually pick out what comedians are dyslexic. And he's like, oh, who's dyslexic? And I was like, and this was like eight years ago. He's, I was like, I'm pretty sure Bill Burr is and I'm pretty sure my buddy Nate Bergazzi is. Nate says he isn't, I still think he is. Um, but Bill, not even a week later, went on his podcast and was like, I'm pretty sure I'm dyslexic. And I was like, called it because he had, <laughs> he had jokes about how spell check doesn't help him and that he would like slam his head against a keyboard and it would be the same spelling he came up with. You know, I could see in his status updates. So like, you know, it's, you see people make the same mistakes you make and, and people will make like, especially our, community we make fun of people people make fun of it and I go no 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 no. I see that like that's what I do um so I think in a lot of ways being around other kind of um I would say we're a bunch of degenerates like we are you know everybody had you know just uh dark childhoods they all were bad students they were all disruptive everybody has ADHD like we are just like the rejects of society that found this success with comedy. And when you are around your peers and you're being um, uh, supported as opposed to reprimanded, it gives you a little like, I knew it was going to work out. Like I I told you. So I think in some ways um, community that I built and the other people I met that were like-minded and it didn't hold them back really helped with um, my self-esteem and growing And then also I really like reading. It's really hard. It's, I, I read slower than everybody else. I I feel like I don't, uh, 
always retain the same information. Other people don't, I have a really hard time regurgitating it. So the same way you talked about math, how you would have to practice a bunch. I usually read four books on a topic while you might read one book or somebody else might read one book and read, I need to like just dive deep and get and have it explained to me nine different ways. And the eighth way might be the one that sticks. But like my old roommate, like went to like one of those brilliant science classes in the Bronx, you know, in the eighties and like just got scholarships everywhere. And I will take a month to read the same book that he reads. And I feel like in a lot of ways we're on the same level. Like we, but like in no way would we have ever shared a class together, but here we are years later and nobody reads as much as we do. Nobody talks about the stuff we do. Nobody comes up with the ideas that we do because it's just, it's funny how there's people I know that are truly much more intelligent than I am and much more education focused, but I'm the one that reads every two weeks. I'm the one that's constantly um, uh, teaching myself new skills and educating mm -hmm. myself. I'm the one that's the self-starter. So in a lot of ways, I can now look at my life and be like, I'm grateful. It was hard and I don't think I would want to go through that again, but because I know how I learned, because I know how it shaped me and because it's made me unique, I, you know, what is it? Like if everybody put their, all their problems in a, in a bag, you would reach in and grab your own problems compared to everybody else. Mm -hmm. I would, grab, I would grab dyslexia back every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things that I heard you say was you would go back to your college and teach an inventive spelling course. Yeah. <laughs> because you can spell museum. What was it? Five or 10 different ways. Ten different ways. I've never spelled museum the same way ever. <laughs> but I absolutely, <laughs> I loved it when you said that. <laughs> um, you can't, I mean, and our English rules are so Make no sense. intense and funky and there's a lot of rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a very hard language. Um, but with, uh, there's, 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 God, there's so much in what you just said, but it's, you know, it's, I think too, we create an expectation. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to get this out of my head wrong. But it's almost like we set people into, I, I don't want to use the word class, but I can't think of a different adjective um, or, or noun, but it's almost like we set people into classes within school. So you've got, you know, the super smart kids, and then you've got the, you know, the kids who are struggling and you're, you're setting them into different stratuses, you know, and you're almost further defining that theory of what they're capable of yeah because of how you're classifying them um i i love the story of of the <laughs> the roommate science class in the bronx in the 80s I, I i could i couldn't have done that i mean science is definitely not my thing it's something that never made any sense to me at all um chemistry is the devil's tool ow don't bite me <laughs> i'm working <laughs> She bit my toe. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, but you get out into your adult life and you're absolutely right. You figure out that the things that you know are in common and 
what, what drives us passionately as adults. We find so much more common ground as adults than we did as kids while we're set in this classification system. I, I think that's what I'm trying to get out of my head. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, I'm so grateful I discovered stand-up. I'm, there's tons of, we're, all, we're not the best. We're, we're a mixed bag of humans, but we all liked the same thing. We all seem to be on this al- alternative path. And I think my whole life has been an alternative path. And I think that's what kind of lines me up with dyslexia. Like I never really was on the same page as everybody else. I always had to do things differently. So then when I, you know, was working crappy jobs while my friends were in grad school, or I was on the road sleeping on couches while my friends had their first jobs or, you know, while I'm traveling around the world and they're getting a house and a husband, like I've always been set apart and I've always done my own thing. And I think what did make me feel better when, uh, you know, besides the fact that I don't know if I wanted those things, I think what always made me feel better was I'm doing exactly what feels right to me. And I had to feel that out as opposed to now my friends are in their thirties and forties and they're just starting to listen to their heart and it's not where they are. And I always had to listen to my heart because if I tried to do what other people told me to do, it never worked out. Yeah. So in some ways I really do feel grateful because there wasn't this basic path for me that everybody was doing that I could fall in line with because I didn't fit in there. So when my life looked different, it didn't feel uncomfortable or like I was doing the wrong thing. It was like, no, I found my path. So I do think uh, kids today are somewhat fortunate to have social media because we're now showing the millions of different paths that you can take that isn't, you go from high school to college and college to grad school and grad school to, to your job, or you go from college to mentorship and mentorship to job. Or like, it's besides the fact that we all know, even our parents' generation wasn't the generation that kept one job. Like I'm like, my parents were veterinarians their whole, that's even weird. Like they said they should have had two or three jobs. Then my generation is like seven jobs. And they're thinking the next generation is like 15 jobs. It's just, there's a higher turnover and we're still teaching them as if they're going to be one job the rest of their life. And that's just not true anymore. So it's like, that's where I feel fortunate that I, as somebody that has pretty much had one job most of their career, but I have this adaptable skill that I developed because I always had to be adaptable. And that's where I was talking about earlier, where is like, is my abilities and my creativity and my survival techniques because I had to survive in this world that didn't accept me? Or is it simply because I have a creative brain that works differently and I was always going to be like this? Right. I I don't know. And maybe it's a mishmash. I don't, again, I don't know, but I, I feel now as an adult fortunate because I like my life oftentimes more than most of my friends do. And I have set myself up to do exactly what I want to do. And this muscle of following my dream or following my heart or following what feels good to me is so much stronger than some of my friends. And it's a hundred percent because I had to develop it as a kid. That's one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm going to put this on repeat in my son's room while he's sleeping for the next 20 years (laughs) because it you're right I mean it's that that was something that I I I did all of those things because you were supposed to do those things right 
I was a little bit of a rebel because I took a year off between high school and college. And trust me, that was a fight, but I wasn't ready to go to college. And even when I went to college, I still wasn't ready to go to college, but I had to go to college because, you know, that was the expectation. Um, I had to get my, I'm one of three and we all three have college degrees. Um, (laughs) None of us have careers that have anything to do with our college degrees, but we all three have college degrees. Um, My brother's is in psychology and he is a, a, a real estate guy. Um, my sister's is in government and she does mortgages and (laughs) mine is in English. And basically I'm a, I'm a professional shopper and contract negotiator. So, (laughs) um, you know, we, but we all went to college. We all got married. You know, we all started having children. You know, it was, it was all of these, like, stop fighting me all of these different things. (laughs) I got a cat. I'm not going to (laughs) keep. She's in a mood. She's never, she's never like done this. She's finally run away. Thank God. She was like she senses my presence and she's like, <laughs> I want to talk to the cat lady named Liz. <laughs> she, she's definitely uber feisty right now. <laughs> Stop hogging out of all the cats. With the yeah, cat. Out of all the cats I've had, she's the most cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I am such a dog person. <laughs> that happens to have a cat. <laughs> But, um, God, what was I saying? So um, it's like this check checklist sort of a thing. One of my least favorite questions was, you know, I, I would, I, in my job, I would go to somebody in a superior role and I would say, I, I, I want to earn more. And they're like, okay, then where do you see yourself? Where, where are you going? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to earn more. I mean, can't you just like, you know, point me in a direction? I'll, I'll go in that direction. And they were like, no, well, what do you want to do? What, what is, what do you want to contribute to the company? And where do you see yourself in five years? And what do you want to learn? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, can't you just tell me where, you know, go that way, go that way, you know, whatever. And it wasn't until I was in my forties that, you know, my son, I was 41, I think 41 or 42 when my son hit the dyslexic wall and I finally found something that I was passionate about. And I feel like it's sort of sad that I was 41, 42 before I found something that I was actually like passionate about, (laughs) but I found something that I was passionate about. And I love what you said because it's so accurate. I have a friend who went to law school at 50. Wow. You know, because it was just, it was, he was a pilot Uh, He was getting kind of more and more work as a pilot. He, you know, he kind of kept needing a lawyer. He couldn't really afford a lawyer. He went to law school. Yeah. Why somebody thinks that they can't afford a lawyer over the cost of going to law school. I don't actually understand that mathematical equation, but sure. (laughs) You know, and now he's, now he's retired because he's, I think he's almost 80 at this point, but he was somebody who he had four or five very different careers because of the thing that he was doing just led him to the next thing that he was doing just because becoming a pilot was kind of a weird thing for him too. That's not the road that he set out on. We have, we create the idea that life is a checklist, you know, get out of high school, go to college, get out of college. Like you said, go to grad school, get married, have kids, do all of these various things. And 
but is that what you actually want to do or is that what you were expected to do? Exactly. And most people don't ask. And I think that's, I mean, sometimes you don't even ask yourself, but also there's not people around you asking, what do you actually want to do or what do you actually enjoy? And I mean, I always get frustrated. A parent's role is to raise your kids so that they have a set of skills for survival. And part of that survival is what? Financially being able to pay your bills and take care of yourself. And then you want them to be with whatever partner they're with, whether they're, if you're, if you're going to be alone, which I think is acceptable, yep. you pay your bills, make sure you're safe. I don't know. Get a ring alarm. I don't know. <laughs> get a dog, whatever you have to do. If you're going to be with a partner, choose a partner that is also somebody that cares about you and is financially stable. And you know what I mean? Like, and is going to keep you safe. And those are the, those are, that's what we tell kids. I want you to be safe and uh, state like financially, emotionally stable. I want the person you're with to be safe, financially, emotionally stable. And, and if you put it in those bare minimums, most people are doing that. But instead, what we say is you should become a doctor so that you can be financially stable, or you should become a lawyer so you can be financially stable, or you need to go to grad school so you can be financially stable. But the truth of the matter is, if I don't like my life and I wake up every day as a lawyer, who cares if I'm financially stable? Right. You, you just negated me feeling, me caring about the one person I'm supposed to care about, which is myself. Right. And this, we're just starting, I think because of social media, because of uh, the internet, because of even just like, not that I love them, but these self-helpy guru books that are saying, if you get to a place where money isn't the problem and, and who you surround yourself isn't the problem and you're still unhappy, you're not, you're not where you're supposed to be. Right. And I, I think that's where I feel more fortunate than most people is that I always felt that uncomfortableness. I always felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I knew for a fact that that path wasn't even attainable. And besides the fact that my home life was like, I do not want to get married and have kids. It does not seem fun. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is, is whenever I go to do something and I have, I went from having really no skills. I was a comedian. I told jokes during a zombie apocalypse or a pandemic, unhelpful. But what I have built because of loving comedy is I'm an incredible at marketing. I am, I am every single friend's manager. I know how to write an email. I know I love negotiation. I love, um, uh, uh, uh what is it? It's not creative writing. It's um, um, persuasive writing, which is a class I actually took in college. And I feel like freshman year is one of the only mandatory classes. I use it every day. I'm a great persuasive writer. I'm a great persuasive talker. I get so many discounts, girl. It is a skill that is more important than anything I learned in school. And persuasive writing is one of the hardest forms to learn how to do English major. Yeah. That was like the biggest leap of faith in like what the instructors were pushing you to do with persuade. That's one of the hardest forms, hands down. Because that's where creativity lies. How do I take you on a journey where Mm -hmm. I convince you that my needs are your needs? Right. And that's, I mean, that's what I do on stage every day. So I'm telling silly jokes about cats and hating math and going through a breakup. (laughs) And I have convinced you whether it's true or not, that I am the sympathetic character. My ideas are right. And even if you don't agree with me, you like me. 
And that's, and that's where you can really go places. And so by doing something I wanted to do, I've built up these other skills where I, um, and more financially stable than some of my peers, both in comedy and outside of comedy, because I saw what the things I was good at and I read books on them and I got better at them. And I started to see them as a different skill set than just comedy. I do jokes. I tell jokes. I am somebody that's good at the business side. I'm somebody that likes social media and marketing. And now I'm somebody that if for whatever reason, comedy went away tomorrow, which I had a little baby exercise with during the pandemic, I had these other skills to build my life with that I also like, but I didn't know I liked them until they helped me get further in this thing I did care about. And I think we don't teach kids that either, that sometimes get that butt in there. <laughs> sometimes um, you learn, you might not like math, you might not like reading, you might not like history, but in learning that you might learn something that you do like and right. it might take you down a much further path. And I definitely think we concentrate less on the um, skill sets are built by reputation, uh, repetition, repetition, but also through um, the same way you might go down a rabbit hole where you watch one video and the next thing you know, it's two hours later and you're on an unrelated video that you don't even know how you got there. I think the same thing has happened, could happen and should happen with education, which is we start learning about, you know, um, Martin Luther King and what he did for the civil rights movement, but it might take us on a path where we learn about the jail system and how, you know, and how things haven't changed and that, how we have slave labor that is really just the prison system. And you, next thing you know, you have this thing that is uh, more passionate in your mind and it makes you want to read books that you'll never be taught in school. I really do. I, I don't know if that's your least favorite cat or not, but yeah, look at that face. <laughs> I did a, I did a, I have a podcast and until my cat passed away, she would cry throughout every podcast. I always had to pick her up, put her in my lap. So I'm like making arguments while like wrestling a cat or whatever. And then she died and I had to be like, at least she won't interrupt. And everybody was like, that was our favorite part. <laughs> yeah. She's actually, she's actually one of my, my last, my last cat was my absolute favorite cat because it's kind of, it's kind of hard not to have a cat be your absolute favorite cat when your three-year-old picks it up by its neck and carries it around. And she just kind of hangs there with her claws and her nails and doesn't do anything. Just kind of looks at you like, um, yeah, help. <laughs> I don't feel like it's my place to attack, but I'm uncomfortable, right. you know, cause that happened, but, <laughs> and I plus have... I found that one inside of my house. Yeah. That's um, a story in and of itself, but she was supposed to be my help me mourn my last cat cat. <laughs> And she is excessively destructive. You can see her whipping her tail back there. She's excessively destructive, but she is, she's a pretty loving little thing. Yeah. On her terms. Yeah. You know, that drive by here for what, 90 seconds and she's out. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, and she, you know, she's thinking about coming back, but you know, it's just, it's, she's just thinking about it. She's such a cat. <laughs> um, I just have five, about five more minutes. Yeah, no, actually with what you said, I was going to end there because I felt like it was the perfect note to sort of end on. Awesome. So, and we've been going about an hour at this point and I promised you I, I, we wouldn't go over an hour too. So yeah. no, I appreciate it. But I'm glad that Maggie made a drive-by. So. Yeah, no, I'm grateful. I can even see her little blurry body. I'm so cute. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us because this is, I think this is one of, one of the best ones we've had so far because you've shared so much passion and so much truth about 
education and really, really how it should change, even though we didn't frame it that way, really how it should change. Yeah. But uh, she goes by again, but so much about embracing other, it's not just, it's not just our education system K through 12. We have to think more about the creative side and more about our strengths and more about the things that we're good at and not necessarily what that system tells us between the ages of six and 18, we can or should be. Exactly. So, but thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, take care and thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you.